everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast, everybody. Joining us, David and Nikki Nellis, on a wintry Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Nick, uh, you have a couple of things you want to say before we get into who's on the show today, right? Absolutely. I want to remind everybody to check out the list or you want us.com. There's so much happening in the D.C. metro area. Now, today is Valentine's Day, and if you really procrastinated and waited to the last moment, then I advise you to go to the site. We have over 80 submissions of brunches, lunches, dinners, and gifts that are still available, not all of them, but that are still available today. So if you want to really... Uh, make somebody's day, whether it's your sweetheart or just a sweet friend, then you should absolutely do that. Also check out on the site, you know, outdoor dining is a big deal right now. And a lot of uh, restaurants and bars have spent an incredible amount of money to lay out space so you can feel safe outside. So we have a section called Outdoor Oasises. <laughs> and you can go and check out all the great ways that you can uh, dine and drink outside right now. Uh, and lastly, all week long, there are events happening in and around the D.C. area that you can partake in both virtually and in person. Please support our restaurants. It's so important. If you want them to be there when we resume our new normal, then you've got to get out and support. Okay, David. On today's show, as always, Deb Moser of Central Farm Markets telling us about yummy things that will warm us up in this cruddy weather. Chef, storyteller, cook, author, renaissance man, Jonathan Bardzik is joining us. He's got cookbooks out. He's got a new TV show in the pipeline. He's done TEDx presentations, and he's going to be joining us to talk about all kinds of stuff that he's up to today. Uh, return guest Chef Eric Ajapong is a finalist. He was a finalist uh, on season 16 of Top Chef, and he's a contestant on season 17 of Top Chef All-Stars. He's got a cookbook coming out. He's got a children's book coming out, and they're very interesting. Both tell stories of the African diaspora, uh, the you know the transatlantic slave trade uh, through food and history and how that's impacted how we eat today here in the U.S. And we'll be speaking literarily to the chef who has two books coming out at once. Um, many of Valentine want something really special. Uh, I think my wife would love a new kitchen. Uh, so we invited Jessica Petrino to join us. She's got an unusual career. She specializes in appliance industry education initiatives for the A.J. Madison Learning Center. And in English, that means she helps people pick out the right stuff, the right appliances, very high-end stuff that will serve them for a lifetime. And Andre McCain is joining us. He's a really interesting guy, too. He's founder and CEO of uh, Half Smoke down at Florida Avenue. But that's only half the story on Andre and what he's done uh, in his past and how he's expanding his restaurant empire and dealing with it during COVID. So let's talk right. to Deb Moser first. Hey, Deb. So hey. Hey, Nikki. How are you? So listen, it's Saturday. We record the show ahead of time. Uh, so we don't know what the call is going to be for the market tomorrow. Obviously, people can always follow you on social media and me on social media at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest on what's happening with the market. Um, so instead of telling people what they can definitely find tomorrow, let's highlight some of the vendors that you have because you have such a wide offering and I feel like we don't always get to tell people about some of your latest and greatest. Right, right, we do. And now uh, let's focus on some nice ones for Chinese New Year. Hmm. Um, why not? Right. Um, the One of our, our favorites that has joined the market this year is Jinlan Wenhu, Wenhao, I hope I said that right. Um, her dumplings, she makes three kinds of dumplings. Mm -hmm. She makes a, a regular dumpling, a Chinese dumpling, a shumai or shomai, and she makes uh, soups and uh, she makes also little pocket uh, dumplings and her dumplings are great. And what you do is you come to the market, she will, she has them frozen. She's already made them for you mm -hmm. and she, and take them home. She has the directions on the packages and you just cook them up. She also has a ready to make, you make it yourself, a uh, dumpling wonton soup. Yeah. And I mean, it's cold out there and what would be better than a hot soup like that. Mm -hmm. But her food is 
just delicious. You can get it chicken, pork, vegetarian. So there's something for everybody. Uh, and she's, she's immensely popular. So she's one of our favorites. The other one is Danny Karnoff from Mapped. And Danny spent she her- cousin. Did you know that? I did not know that. She's my cousin. <laughs> well, then, then you know what she does. I actually um, know. We just reconnected on uh, social media. Oh, that's hysterical. Well, Danny traveled around to the South Pacific, Asia, Africa, and she learned to cook from some chefs all over the world, some really great chefs. And she does global, globally prepared prepared meals to take home. And her Asian flavored inspired meals are amazing. They are amazing. And they come, she puts them all together for you. All you have to do is heat noodles or heat the dish. Um, and we had one last, last week from Portugal and it was a moussaka, but it was a Portuguese one with, and oh, it was amazing. Amazing. So it's cold. It's, it's winter time, you know, it's good food and, and all, both of them source locally. So, you know, you're getting good food. I love that. All right, Deb, tell everybody where they can find the markets right now during the winter and how they can keep up to date on all the things you're doing because you guys have a great regular e-blast that goes out every week that sort of highlights everything that's going on. Right. Go to centralfarmmarkets.com. You can sign up for our weekly e-blast. We have a great blog that's written. And when we go back uh, to regular times, uh, Jonathan, our market chef, will be joining us again. So um, he does some virtual things with us now. So glad that he's on your show today. Excellent. Look at right. that. All you. in the family. All in the family. So Jonathan. Oh, Actually, I'm going to jump in with Jonathan because we met Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan, is the first time we met last year or had we already known each other? No. I think we connected briefly when one of my cookbooks came out via email, but the yeah. first time we met in person was literally a year ago, February 14th. Right. Selena Pizzeria. Right. With Amy Riola, she did that wonderful event, and that's where we sat down with you and your husband, and we had such a nice time. Um, so let's tell everybody a little bit about you, because you are you have your fingers in so many pots. So let's, let's get your 411. Sure. I, I am a storyteller, cook, and author. So I, I cook and share stories with live audiences. Uh, those live audiences obviously aren't in person over the last year, but I, for me, it really is about sharing the, the joy that cooking brings to our lives every single day and, and the connection that it brings between the, the people in our lives, the farmers and producers. Uh, I, I think there's such an amazing community that is created and this conversation obviously that that you share that happens all around food mm -hmm. and how did you get into cooking you know 10 years ago I was director of membership and marketing for a national trade association here in Washington DC and, <laughs> I, and one day you said boring <laughs> well you know I actually I liked my work I so I was 37 years old uh, I, I had a good job that I was successful at uh, I was married to my husband for a few years and, and completely in love, living on Capitol Hill, shopping at farm markets every week. Like life was awesome. Uh, and I thought, I have checked pretty much every one of those before you turn 40 boxes. What's the next big adventure in life? And it, it led through some conversations to my first live cooking demonstration uh, at a farm market on July 30th, 2011. So this year will, will mark 10 years since I started this whole adventure. And it has grown into cookbooks, over 800 live appearances at this point, uh, and a TV show coming out this year. Well, let's talk about the cookbooks. I mean, that's such an interesting route to go. What, I mean, it's a tremendous market. There's a lot out there. How do you, I mean, I have your cookbook. It's fabulous. But like, how do you, how do you, how do you wedge yourself into the cookbook world? Because it's, it's not easy. And that's an interesting route to go. It all started, somebody came to me who, who coaches authors in across broad categories and sort of writing first books. And he came and he said, I'm a big fan of your blog and your social media. Uh, and I think you have a book in you and I would just love to work with you and make that first book happen. So 
we did that project. I, I self-published, um, learned through some conversations with other writers that I, I liked the, the freedom that came with self-publishing and, and I really liked writing books. And so wrote numbers two and ultimately number three. And I, I think one of the great things for me is that this has, as I think so many small businesses do, this has grown in so many different ways, including on the revenue side of things. And so I never, I didn't come into it as a writer where I saw the books having to be a revenue driver. And I think that that made, the, made writing books a very different experience for me. And what did you want to share in the books? Like, so I have your second book. Yes. Uh, what did you want to like? And it's a real, you know, it takes you through the seasons. And obviously, you you work with Deb at, at uh, Central Farm Market as their. What is your role there? I, I do live cooking demonstrations there. Uh, before this, uh, every single month. Mm -hmm. So you really put this book together, seasons to taste, like based on like seasonal cooking. Seasonal cooking for me is is about being connected. I mean, when I first started, farm to table wasn't a thing. I mean, it was it was you know being talked about around the edges. Today, it's central, I think, to to so much of what's happening in the food world. I mean, I think it's been a trend for the last fifteen to twenty years. You yeah. know, I mean, nationally. So, I think the difference for me is no question that farm-to-table cooking delivers better ingredients to cook with. Mm -hmm. I think that the big difference for me, though, is that it really is about being connected to people, to a sense of place. You know, we're, we're so mobile today. And so there's a real difference in knowing that for all of us on the show today who are living in the Mid-Atlantic, living in the Washington, D.C. region, we know that we are sharing with a community that you know, somewhere between the third week of third and fourth week of April, we're all going to be getting really excited about asparagus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that that we're not going to see Gold Rush apples until late October, and we're all super excited for them. Right. It also means that when I have those Gold Rush apples, which I, I do, sitting next to me on the table here right now, mm -hmm. I either know that Tim from Ashton Farms grew that apple. Mm -hmm. Or Emily from Black Rock Orchard grew that apple. So there's, you know, somebody said to me, do you feel isolated during COVID? Because prior to this, we'd have a, a different dinner guest five nights a week. Sure. And I said, when I have these foods around me and I know who produced them and they're, they're reminding me of recipes and people I've shared them with, I I'm never alone. That's such a perfect way to go because we need to take a break. So we'll be back with you, Jonathan. Uh, this is David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. It may be cold outside, but it's warm here. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to chef, raconteur, and more, Jonathan Bardzik. Uh, you've got a new TV show coming out. Uh, I mean, nobody, not many people can say that now, particularly during COVID. Tell us a little bit about that. And I also, we, only, we have about three minutes. want to get into your cookbooks too. Awesome. David, I'm so excited to, to share this show with people. You know, for me, I really, I live my life based on this belief that life can and should be lived with joy every single day. And I think one of the most accessible ways all of us can do that is by preparing a simple meal, setting a table and sharing it with the people we love. I'm and sorry, you're way too happy. I got <laughs> There's something wrong with you, pal. I, you know, you have to, like, I love hearing all that. That makes me feel. That makes me feel good. Like, like there's hope, right? right? I mean, but we we can. I mean, you know, it's uh, sure we can't travel right now. We're not going to big parties, but we can sit down and prepare a meal. Mm -hmm. And I and you know, setting that table pieces is about connecting and communicating with people. So I wanted to create a show that brought people into the kitchen connected people with experts and friends, people like Debbie, who is on the show, uh, in my life, and, and then ultimately get them to sit down at the table and have a conversation at the end. I love that. I think that's really different than what's out there right now. Um, so listen, with COVID happening, a lot of people's plans are on hold. So what are you doing business-wise right now 
Like, how are you engaging with your clients or with your books? Like, how, what are you doing right now? My whole business moved virtual a year ago. So for, for people who just want to connect and get a little taste of me, I am live three days a week on Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, on Monday nights and Saturday afternoons at noon. You can join me for a, a little chat about food, about life. And then Wednesday nights, I cook dinner and people can join me and my husband behind the camera to, uh, to see what's happening in our kitchen that week. I've also been able to work with corporate clients and, and some people at home doing live uh, virtual cook-along meals mm -hmm. where we, we send a full uh, set of recipes and ingredients and we prepare the meal together and doing some fun custom video work as sort of the entertainment part of a lot of the virtual conferences that people are throwing right now. I love that. Will you, Jonathan, will you tell everybody where they can find you, especially to do those things? Because I think people are really looking for things to do. And this is right. such a great idea and where they can find your books. Absolutely. You can find my books and connect with me through my website, which is jonathanbardzik.com. Mm -hmm. And if you want to find me on Instagram and, and hang out a little bit, it is at jonathanbardzik. Excellent. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad we finally got you on this show and we can't wait to see you on the big, big screen uh, very right. soon. Um, May I just say one thing to Jonathan? Jonathan, stop being so damned happy. No, I love it. <laughs> now we are joined by, well, we're rejoined by a return guest, a guy we like a lot, chef and now author, Eric Ajapong. He's a finalist on season 16 of Top Chef. And because he's a glutton for punishment, he went back and did season 17 of Top Chef All-Stars. I haven't been invited to do any of that, by the way, Eric. Uh, but he recently announced his first cookbook and a children's cookbook, really. Uh, both are slated to be published uh, in the fall of uh, 2022. But they, they tell the story about and lessons learned from the, the, the African slave trade and its impact uh, on, on the food we eat and American history and how we're all one big melting pot. Yeah. And uh, Eric, we're glad to see you again. You're smiling. Everybody's in a good mood on this show, except for me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but, but welcome back. Um, do, do us a favor. Give us a quick 411 on you so people who, who weren't listening last time yeah. get to hear your background. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's always great to be with you guys. Um, thank you so much for, for reaching out again. Um, my name is Chef, my name is Eric Ajapong. I just so happen to be a chef. I'm Chef Eric Ajapong. Um, born and raised in- Your mother uh, didn't name you Chef? No, unfortunately oh, okay. not. That, yeah, yeah, I didn't go with the- <laughs> I didn't go with the other- What will I be when I grow up? <laughs> um, born and raised in New York City, um, uh, but I was really, really fortunate uh, to be born uh, by parents who both um, were born in, in Ghana. Um, in Kumasi. Um, so I'm first generation uh, Ghanaian American and I had the, the awesome kind of experience of growing up in a very traditional West African home, but then also being like a New York City kid, you know, um, and, and learning my ropes around that and uh, just so happened to fall into the love and the industry and the passion of culinary arts and being a chef and, and restaurantism uh, and um, you know, that's kind of led me into to everything, including Top Chef, as you mentioned, which was uh, an awesome, awesome ride. I wanted to focus on like the West African flavors and uh, techniques and, and things that I grew up eating and, and those profiles. And, um, you know, I'm almost one, almost won the thing. And from there, just kind of kept, you know, preaching that gospel from the highest mountaintops that I can find and really just trying to connect the diaspora, um, not only uh, with that West Africa, but the Caribbean islands and South America and obviously the American South as well. So, right. um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where my, uh, my spiel is. Can we talk and, a little bit about yeah. that? I mean, granted you, you grew up in a household that cooked with Ghanaian flavors, mm -hmm. but how did you do your research and how did, how did you train yourself in the other forms of cooking? Cause there's, yeah. You know, while there's some ingredients that are similar or some dishes are, are named the same, there's, you know, real uh, cultural varieties mm -hmm. in how they're all presented based on the products that are available. Well, he did go to... He did go to Johnson and Wales. I'm sure they taught a lot there. They gave me a little yeah. bit. Yeah, a little bit. You think, you think so? No. no. Johnson and Wales is not... They're not focusing on African cuisine. You're right. right, Nick. No, no, no. Nick is right. She's, she's, she's. You're right on. Like it's, you know, you spend um, a good amount of money. It's not, it's not cheap going to a private school and culinary arts and 
um, they they did an awesome job, you know. Um, but one thing that I noticed when I was there is like I always say Africa is the second biggest continent in the entire you know world and the planet, but the food is so unknown, and I didn't even really learn a lot of African food or you know even the regions in Africa. Uh, it was mostly like Italian, French, modern American. Um, and things like that. And they obviously have their, their, their space and their lexicon of like, you know, culinary arts and all that. But um, there's so many different ways to, to make a mother sauce. You know, it's not just a bechamel. There's, you know, yeah. there's, there's ways that you can do it in, in Africa that, you know, we've learned with tomatoes and, and using ginger and garlic and, and habaneros. There's, there's, there's so many different techniques. So I really wanted to kind of um, champion that uh, after school. And, and, and unfortunately, I didn't see a lot of chefs that kind of looked like me um, growing up. Now there's a lot of chefs uh, that are, you know, paving the way um, as well. But um, I think ultimately it, it kind of hit me when I moved to England. I studied for my master's um, in international uh, public health nutrition and ended up going to Ghana to do my thesis project um, and really just kind of fell in love with the idea and kind of submitted to that. And, you know, really wanted, it's like a dark hole for me, like a black hole. <laughs> you learn more and you kind of want to keep learning more and just kind of keep going deeper and deeper. Um, and, and that's what it was for me. Like, I love, uh, I love the flavors. I love the profiles of the food that comes from the diaspora. And then there's so many connections. Like, you know, we talk about the American South and red rice and, and jambalaya and how that directly correlates to jollof rice in West Africa or gumbo um, or, you know, uh, red peas and rice, like all these things that you can kind of trace back um, um, through the slave trade. And uh, there's a lot of stories to tell. There's a lot of delicious stories to tell. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. I kind of follow the dish. Right. Or follow the ingredient across yeah. the water till it mm -hmm. arrives here. And then how it gets, you know, changed. Like I, yeah. it, and there's so much we don't, no, because we didn't ask, right? And um, I, I just think it's amazing that you've done the research in order to, to share. But how did you go about, like, before you decided to write these books and before yeah. Top Chef, like, how were you sharing this cooking? Like, where are you cooking now? And, and yeah. you know, how did, what's happening for you? Yeah, um, so mostly it was uh, private events, you know? Um, I would be doing... Jeez, it, it started off doing private events, um, really just kind of showcasing those flavors uh, to clients in, in New York City um, that were really interested. And um, I soon after met my wife, um, who uh, or my girlfriend at the time, who was also doing like interior design. So we actually came up with a, a business um, and just started doing it. And um, it really kind of just went off from there. Like people just started catching wind of the, the momentum. Um, and then there later on, I moved to DC um, and at the time, Kith and Ken, um, first kind of Caribbean restaurant, uh, Caribbean, like Afro-Caribbean restaurant that was here in DC, uh, pushing, pushing those kind of lines as well. So when the opportunity came, I was like, there's literally no one, uh, I, at least I know that can, uh, knock this dish out and knock this menu out, um, better, better than me and, you know, um, and Kwame, Kwame Awashi was also on top shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, it was a no brainer for me. And, and that kind of, I mean, one thing kind of leads into another, um, but honestly, uh, Nick, it's really just innate. Like it's it's in me. Like it's the food I ate. This is the food that I grew up, you know, um, with. Like so, honestly, like for comfort, this is. I think about jollof rice quite often. I think about like peanut butter stew. Like that's the comfort food for me. So I'd rather oh, share it. That's so good. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> right. but, but but here's the question. Because let's get to the writing of the cookbooks. Writing a cookbook with you know the the myriad subjects that have already been covered a thousand times out there is yeah. hard enough. It's challenging enough to find your space in there. But particularly when you're talking about sort of the history of the, you know, the brutality of the slave trade, um, uh, uh, that's got to be toned down and, and, and totally. sanitized a little for a children's book. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, how much, how long did it take to write these things, first of all? Um, still in the process. Yeah, still in the process. It's a, uh, it's a very, very long process, one that I'm super green to. Um, and and I'm learning quickly that writing is well, not like on two books at one time. It's yeah, it's it's a lot. It is a lot. And the other, how are we doing? Yeah, you know, um, with the great team, that's number one. Um, I wouldn't be able to do it by myself. I have an awesome team. Um, as far as my literary agent, um, I have a great co-author, um, in Korsha, Korsha Wilson, who's helping out. Um, and then uh, Joshua Kessie is going to be helping out with the visuals and everything. So I have a really really great team behind me. So that gives me, um, not only the space to kind of like. Uh, kind of just talk freely and kind of have everyone help me gather these ideas, but then also gives me the time to kind of do my own research and development and things like that. Um, so yeah, you know, it, 
there definitely has to be some uh, toning down, but these are stories that are very, very important. I don't necessarily think um, it's, you know, probably appropriate to, you know, go as visceral as you can be with a children's book. But I think it's also important to talk about, like Nick mentioned, like those ingredients that made their, you know, their, their lineage or kind of made their migration, so, so to speak. Um, and to celebrate those ingredients, you know, and have kids who, because again, when I was younger, I didn't see that, you know, I didn't have a children's book uh, with anyone that looked like me or anything like that. So I, I'm really excited and uh, to, to kind of put that forward. Um, and, and really do its due diligence. And then for the adult book itself, I mean, uh, it's more stories of me um, and that dichotomy of growing up in New York and, and then having, you know, a very visceral West African kind of connection um, to that. But then also kind of, you know, explain like these are the these are the ingredients, these are the things that kind of trans, you know, made its way through uh, the slave Atlantic, the transatlantic slave trade. So it's not necessarily like a, a, a heavy Debbie Downer, so to speak, but it is, it is bringing light to, to, to those ingredients, to those, to that migration. And, well, you know, and I'm going to say, listen, the story is filled with violence and brutality. It's true, but there is an, there is so much to learn from that. Yeah. And that can be, we can still tell the story of the food and how it made there. And, and I, I mean, the education is so necessary, right? Like it's so important that we understand what's on our table. Well, the, totally. uh, the one question I have is because a lot of the like habaneros or ginger or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, here in the U.S., I mean, how did I guess the question is, how did they they source any of that stuff that, that you know, was was part of kind of native menus and, and recipes, yeah. um, you know, on a plantation in the south? I mean, where did it come from? I mean, you can get as visceral as, you know, having women braid little rice in their hair um, when they're being captured and, you know, bringing wow. that rice in. Thank God. And yeah, like they can get that serious, you know, but, you know, there's also things where, you know, if you don't have it available, you do the best you can to kind of mimic um, what was yeah. what was around you. Um, so you'll have like, I mean, there's some awesome great farmers in, um, in like South Carolina, um, specifically that are, you know, growing these Asian grains, these Asian like beans and, and um, legumes and, and, and tubers that you would see um, in Africa that are very similar in climate. Uh, so it's really about just, you know, doing what you um, did and how your ancestors cooked and how your forefathers cooked, um, but just in a literal different place, you know? Uh, so the food looks very, very similar. Uh, there's a beautiful dish in Brazil called Vatapa stew um, that looks exactly like a palm nut stew in, in Ghana. It's used, it's made with palm nuts, it's made with uh, peanut um, peanut butter. So these things are obviously, these ingredients travel, and these, right. yeah, they travel, yeah, they, they, they travel and they own, each ingredient has their own story as well. All right, uh, Eric, Eric, we gotta stop you, but uh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Tell people how to find you because you're also doing interactive classes. It's looked like right. a lot of fun. Yeah, extremely fun. Thank you guys so, so much. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, check me out on um, social media chef eric ajapong a-d-j-e-p-o-n-g um on pretty much all platforms uh i'll keep posting on the, the book uh, obviously as you mentioned the other uh, virtual sites uh virtual classes excuse me um that have been a lot of fun and honestly tv more tv coming up um, and a lot more exciting news so i'm just uh trying to keep busy <laughs> try to keep busy for certainly keeping busy. and please keep us posted and when the books come out well of course oh my gosh yeah Absolutely. I guys again, tremendous. This is what my third third time officially. Um, You're gonna get you a jacket in the mail. <laughs> Members only. Right, um, wait, no. <laughs> Great. Hold on. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And our next guest, Jessica Petrino, is gonna take us in a whole new direction. She has an unusual career, I have to say. She specializes in appliance industry education initiatives. We're going to find out what that is for the AJ Madison Learning Center. But, uh, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up and you want to make people in your life happy with the coolest and latest and hottest appliances, uh, I guess for now, for post-Valentine's Day gifting, we're going to talk about that. But Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. We're glad um, to have you. <laughs> we are. We're honored to be here. Okay, so Jessica, let's talk what AJ Madison is because you guys, I think AJ Madison opened up in Tyson's like right before the pandemic hit. Am I wrong? They they opened up in 2020, um, and uh, we're we're super excited to be in the DC metro area. Mm -hmm. uh, AJ Madison is a home appliance retailer with two showroom locations. So there's one in Brooklyn, New York 
um, in our newest location opened up in 2020 in Tyson's Corners in the DC metro area, 8500 Leesburg Pike. Um, so please feel free to browse the site, visit us in store. We have two buildings full of appliance experts. Okay, so can we talk what we're talking about with appliances? I mean, I think when a lot of people hear appliances, they think of like, I don't know, or you know, they're just, they're not thinking as creatively as AG Madison is launching their appliances. And I just wanna say that so many people, given that we're all stuck at home, those who can afford are doing lots of things like, you know, renovating their kitchens or building outdoor space so that they can, you know, have more space have more places to go while they're stuck at home. So that they can does, rest in style. How does AJ Madison fit into that? Absolutely. So we have noticed that families are cooking probably at about 200% more at home uh, in this new stay-at-home pandemic lifestyle than ever before. Um, a lot of households are stocking up on more food each time that they go to the store. Um, and people are really looking to either upgrade their appliances um, for practical reasons, or they're really looking for home appliances that spark joy. Uh, there are so many different products to choose from. AJ Madison is the leading appliance retailer nationwide, um, and we carry over 150 brands. That means that there are tens of thousands of products to choose from. There really is something for everyone and every budget. So. There are so many styles to choose from, and it can be really exciting um, starting the shopping process uh, with our appliance experts just because there are so many options out there, and it's really our role to help you narrow down the options that are available to you. Well, also, it's super overwhelming, right? Like, I mean, because there are so many brands and there are so many, like, bells and whistles and gadgets, like on ovens and ranges and refrigerators and outdoor pizza oven. So, I mean, what are some of the things that you're like, okay, let me, let me tell you what's out there. Let's geek oh, out. So Let's talk about it. <laughs> All right. uh, so there, whenever, whenever you're starting your kitchen appliance buying journey, I always recommend that you think about your individual cooking style because no two households cook the same. Mm. So there are so many different options. Think about how you live today, the types of things you like to eat, what you like to cook, but also consider like how you want to aspire to live going forward as well. We have noticed a massive change in smart home technology over the last five years or so. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Even if you know how to cook really well, you can benefit from having smart home appliances. We'll jump into some of that. Um, I do so want to highlight is, a couple. What is a smart appliance? Like, what does that mean? So a smart home appliance connects to your home Wi-Fi network. And essentially, it leverages connectivity to, we really call an appliance smart if it delivers, a, if it delivers benefits that offer a new experience. So whether that's remote diagnostics, knowing what's going on with your machine at all times, getting a notification if someone left the refrigerator door open, for example. Some cooking appliances have guided recipes built in that can calibrate for your family's individual ingredient preferences, dietary restrictions, mm -hmm. even they can calibrate for your cookware so that your meals come out perfect every time. Uh, there are so uh, many really well, I mean, interesting innovations. Let's, let's be honest, what you're really talking about is the matrix, right? <laughs> 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 the machines are taking I, over. Yeah. So well, what's a good example of some of those? Like, what are, what do you like? So, oh my goodness, we could be here all day. Um, but but not like really, left. <laughs> all right. So I really think that the a GE came out with a kitchen hub that is really interesting. Basically, it's a 600 CFM ventilation hood but on the front of it is a large tablet screen that you can explore recipes, you can stream music, you can watch the game while you're cooking, you can stream cartoons for the kids, um, but you can also film your own cooking. So if you like to live stream your recipes and your creations, and like if you're a seasoned cook, you can actually lead your own cooking show. It has a front facing camera and a downward facing camera. Wow. Uh, so you can stream your progress. It's really, really quite 
Oh my, I mean, we had two cookbook author chefs on before you came on, Chef Eric Ajapan and Jonathan Brockdeck. Like, I think they would be all over that. Like, that makes so much sense for but, but all where these does it, Where does it sit? Is it like a hood and it's got the... It looks, it kind of looks like an over-the-range microwave. Like, it's a similar size, but instead of being a microwave, the front of it is essentially like a big tablet screen uh, with with two cameras. Uh, so it's pretty futuristic, but I think it's really practical um, in some of the benefits that it affords you. Um, and it's, I think that's- the oven. I wanna talk about the, because that's for outdoors, right? Or is that for indoors? So there are two different types of pizza ovens that you can use in your home. Uh, you, can, you can get an indoor pizza oven. Uh, Monogram makes a built-in hearth oven, um, which is, super cool. And there are a plethora of outdoor cooking appliances and options. And um, there are outdoor pizza ovens as well. Um, how do you guys help? How do you help people? Like, how do you help? Like, my husband and I would be the worst to come in, because we would totally disagree on everything. Like, how do you help people? The secret to a perfect marriage, by the way. Yeah. How, uh, how do you find help people find the right appliances for what they're doing? So my, my first piece of advice is I definitely like to talk to households about and, and prospective clients about the scope of their project, who cooks, how they cook, how much they're storing. Um, there's a lot of options for customization and really tailoring your appliance package to your needs. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to, I do want to address refrigeration just for a second in customization where there are a lot of people looking to do modular refrigeration. It's really trendy in the DC market. We're seeing a lot of interest in true refrigeration. Um, this brand has commercial roots, um, but we're seeing, um, we're seeing a lot of interest because you can mix and match all refrigerator, all freezer or wine preservation towers to create your ideal refrigeration solution. And one of the things I love about it is in addition to ordering them in stainless steel, you can choose different color and hardware finish options. So not only is this a practical appliance in your home, but also becomes a piece of art yeah. um, in your kitchen. You can do an emerald green refrigerator with gold handles if you wanted to. Mm. And there are some really, really stunning combinations. Um, there are also affordable brands or affordable luxury brands that are starting to create these modular refrigeration solutions as well. Uh, Samsung is about to release their new bespoke refrigeration collection with individual towers starting at around $1,000. Uh, so all of these really cool innovations in technology are not just for the ultra luxury sector. We're starting to see a lot more customization for consumers at every single every single price point. So when we're talking um, about modular for the uninitiated, it's basically one piece is a refrigerator one piece if they're separate entities they're not it's not a, two doors and it's and you got your fridge or a drawer or something like that they're two separate entities altogether exactly so right. basically the industry has reinvented the side-by-side -side refrigerator giving you opportunity to get a refrigerator section as big as 36 inches a freezer as big as 36 inches, but they have a ton of different sizes. You can mix and match. It's really beneficial for small entryways, older homes, historic homes. If you if you live in a high rise with an elevator, for example, um, it makes the delivery process a lot easier. Um, AJ Madison does offer a value added service where they can do a fit survey. So we can tell you if something's going to fit into your home uh, before you take delivery, which That's can be- That's a good idea. good idea. We want to make sure it's gonna it's gonna work for you, whatever it is that you're that you're shopping for. Um, I do want to address outdoor living uh, because uh, we're we're going to see a lot of outdoor space renovations. It was a huge trend in 2020. We're seeing a lot of interest in 2021, um, and especially when you're creating an outdoor kitchen, you can do it in spaces of any shape, of any size, and as little as four feet, you could do an outdoor kitchen. Um, so it's not just for huge yards. And whenever you start an outdoor kitchen project, I highly recommend that you think about the functionality of your indoor kitchen. So in your indoor kitchen, think about it. You have cooking appliances, 
you have storage, your cabinets, you have cleaning appliances, mm -hmm. and you have refrigeration. So those are the four most important components of any functional kitchen, indoor or outdoor. Um, obviously, when it comes to cooking appliances, the grill is the centerpiece of most outdoor kitchens. However, we are seeing a ton of interest in outdoor pizza ovens because it's fun for the whole family. Mm -hmm. The pizza oven can heat up. The, the Lynx pizza oven has been, has been really trendy. It has two infrared burners on the inside of the oven that can heat up to 700 degrees in minutes. And uh, you can get pizzas. You can turn them out every five minutes. So it makes for a really interesting alternative barbecue option. You can throw other things in there other than pizza, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can do uh, brick chicken, for example, cedar planked, planked salmon. You can do a ribeye steak and on, a, on a cast iron pan, for example. And you can add a sprig of rosemary and some garlic. And you can cook up some really amazing creations. Jessica, uh, so it, I hate to do this, but our segment yeah. is over. And I mean, I could go down such a rabbit hole with you. Um, so we are going to bring you back because there's clearly so much more to talk about. Yeah, I need to talk about the outdoor dishwasher. Yes. Um, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell everybody where they can find AJ Madison, where they can give us the website and handles, and we will absolutely bring you back. That, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. You can find us at ajmadison.com or at AJ Madison on social media. Feel free to ask us any questions, uh, tweet us a question, send us a message, and we are more than happy to assist you with your project. Great, okay, this is David and Nikki Nellis, uh, Foodie and the Beast. I think I know what my Valentine's Day gift is, a pizza oven. That's right, it's a, it's a card that says good luck. We'll be back in just a sec. <laughs> All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and our next guest has a fascinating background, and he's got a great pizza business here in downtown DC, it's Andre McCain. He is the founder and owner of Half Smoke. He is also the pop-up king when you hear about all of that. But his background is really in finance. And I, and I it's really interesting to hear so how, how he came from that place to owning food joints in DC. So Andre, welcome to the show. Hi, Andre. Thank you. And How's you guys doing? Good afternoon. We're doing, well, it's, it's a funky day outside, but we're doing okay. Do us a favor and give us a little 411 on you and how you got from, from there to here. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. and um, went to college at Morehouse in Atlanta. And then after college, um, moved to New York to work in finance. I started out doing um, investment banking and then worked at um, a few real estate development firms and real estate private equity firms for about um eight years after college. And um, I always knew I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have to have the experience to work on Wall Street and to um, get a lot of really good experience uh, from a professional corporate standpoint, um, especially in finance. But um, I felt like the trajectory that I wanted to be on was more um, entrepreneurial, more smaller, um, companies, more community-based stuff. And so um, uh, this was kind of around the time when fast casuals were proliferating, especially in D.C. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at Chipotle and uh, Sweet Green and Kava um, and really thought that there was an opening for a sausage fast casual to um, um, create a similar concept to what those guys had had done at that time. Um, and so started to do a bunch of research and make business plans. And um, I actually left uh, real estate and went to go actually work at Sweet Green. And I worked at Pratt and I worked at um, McDonald's as just like an hourly worker to run the business. Andre, when you worked at Sweet Green, did you like did you communicate with like Nick Jamey and the guys or were you like, no, I just want to learn from the bottom up. I met them because I actually worked at the first, their very first store there in New York, actually the opening of the very first store. So I met them, but, okay. but no, I didn't communicate with them. Um, in that way, I, I literally, um, just applied and, uh, went to work there. Like, um, I, I was 
you know, hourly worker number 15 kind of thing. So you must have learned so much working in all, because they, they're all machine run businesses, right? Like there are ways to do things, unlike an independent restaurant. So that must have been quite an education. Yeah, this was um, back in 2000, uh, when was this? This was, uh, what is this, 2020? This, this would have been like 2013. So Sweet Green wasn't as big, but um, it was, Good to compare it to um, Pret and uh, McDonald's, where I also worked, which were much larger at the time. And sure. I think so. How did like, uh, now, but. So, how long ago did Half Smoke open? Because we only have like you know six minutes left, and I want to get to everything. So, how long ago did Half Smoke open? Uh, Half Smoke opened in 2016. Okay, so. You open up Half Smoke. I mean, it's a beautiful space. It's an amazing location. Let's talk about the experience people had sort of pre-pandemic, like when you went to Half Smoke. Yeah, so so pre-pandemic, Half Smoke was really a, a, a reprieve from kind of the monotony of everyday life. Our, our theme is don't grow up as a trap. So we wanted to create a very casual, comfortable environment where um, the, the restaurant is designed to mimic your home and to be um, a place where everyone can have their favorite seat, whether it's in the dining room, the bar, the parlor, um, the outdoor patio. Um, you come, you play games, you can watch music videos and sports on television, you have a free photo booth. So we really wanted to just create a fun environment uh, that, that appeals to everyone. And so now, but then the pandemic happened. I mean, it was a very, it's a very popular restaurant um, right on the corner of, uh, Florida and seventh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so pandemic happens, everybody has to level, figure out what's next. So you did a bunch of pop-ups. So what did you, like, where did your mind go and how did you come up with all these? Well, I had always been uh, kind of working on a bunch of different concepts and, um, you know, with the, the pandemic happening, the notion was basically how do we keep our people employed and um, how do we reach the customers where they are, which was via originally via online delivery. And so um, and we wanted to kind of expand the operating hours of what we were doing. So we created Butter Me Up, which is a breakfast concept that, that we as a pop-up that's available at Half Smoke um, via Uber Eats and, and Pickup and Delivery. And then we created Get Social, which is a um, pizza virtual kitchen as well and so the, the idea was basically just to um, reach out to more customers and then um, outdoor dining was allowed and then the city allowed us to open up um, sort of adjacent restaurant spaces in, in underutilized locations and, and just as fate you would have it there's a massive lot across the street from right. Half Smoke um, and so um, we've been using that since the summer and we've created different experiences depending on the season over there and um, now we're in our, our winter wonderland phase where we have um, 14 igloos and we can seat about 120 people. That is amazing. Like It's just uh, unbelievable. And then it's going to transform to a rosé garden? Yeah, the, the next, um, our next plans for that space is yeah, we're gonna turn into a full rosé garden uh, with, with roses and all types of colorful flowers. That sounds um, great. Uh, it's gonna be a really beautiful, fun, festive space. Oh wait, did I read it as rosé and it's a rose garden? <laughs> um, it, it is rosé um, uh, after the drink, but but we'll also uh, be um, featuring a lot of roses, yeah. Wow. So was the city um, incredibly helpful in helping you execute these things? Because I know there were grants and things of their nature, or did you have to, this is such a incredible cost to create all these other concepts, branding and product and et cetera, and getting the word out. And then, um, you know, creating your outdoor space. Um, how did you go about financing all that? Yeah, we've, we've definitely gotten some grants um, and really it's just been, um, us trying to, to stay nimble on the on managing our, our expenses but, but a large part of it has just been um um just out of our our own savings and so we've, we've been fortunate in that way mm. and then when you so now if i'm going to order from half smoke uh and you use third-party providers um 
but I can order the half smooth menu, the butter me up menu. I, I can order off all the different menus. Like, are they all, do I have to go to the third party or is it all available on your website? Yeah, it's all available on our website at, at halfsmoke.com. Yeah. Okay, and do, is there a preferred third party that you work with? No, not preferred. I mean, we, I guess, prefer you order directly from us because um, there are less fees that way. But but besides that, we're available on all the delivery platforms. Well, that's sort of specifically what I was looking for. I mean, most people just don't realize that you're better off ordering, going to the website yeah. from the the restaurant you want to order from instead of, you know, sleuthing on Uber Eats or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely the best way to help support restaurants um, because the, the delivery fees are quite expensive. Right. Um, yeah, I know it's a huge uh, battle right now. So listen, we do um, have to wrap it up. I really appreciate you joining us. I know you have literally a lot on your plate. Can you just tell everybody like where they can find information on everything? Uh, your website, your um, Instagram or Twitter and Facebook handles and uh, how people can get in on all your uh, delicious options. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, we're Half Smoke Restaurant located in the Shaw neighborhood on the corner of Florida and Georgia Avenue. Our website is halfsmoke.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at halfsmokedc. Um, and we're open every day from 8 a.m. until 12 p.m. until 12 a.m. So please come by. And I have to compliment you on your site selection, which obviously was benefited by your background because, I mean, that spot is perfect for this kind of business. So we'll talk to you when you're yeah. a billionaire, okay? Thanks so much, Andre. Okay. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thank you. But David, before we wrap up, do you yep. have a couple things? Yeah, very briefly. Uh, we have five kids and our oldest, Jason, many, many moons ago. He's 35 now. But when he was 20, he contracted Hodgkin's disease. And fortunately, after several rounds of chemo and radiation, he's cancer-free and he remains that way. Got married two years ago, just had his first kid. And we are very grateful. And so every year, somebody in the family gets involved with fundraising for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, where they fund a lot of the, the research that has helped take Hodgkin's from a, a deadly disease to a disease that uh, about 96% of the people that get it are cured. Um, Tessa, our 18-year-old, our is running a fundraiser now for the society. And if you go to the listareyouonit.com, uh, you're going to find a link there where you can donate. If you can donate a buck, that would be great. But it's all not for the glory of Tessa, but for the greater good of the leukemia lymphoma. Okay, and with that, we totally have to wrap up. So if you can help raise funds, that would be terrific. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. It is Valentine's Day, so be sweet to everyone. Have joy and spread it. Spread joy, not COVID. Best way to do it. So thank you again for joining us. Everybody, please mask up, sanitize, keep your distance. Have a delicious week.